Welcome, my friends. I am Rock, and you are listening to A Rock's Thoughts, a podcast about mental health, mental injury, and mental illness, featuring insights from myself, an exceptionally gifted sociopathic professor of psychiatric nursing, with a diagnostic combination of attention deficit, impulse control, major depressive, and obsessive compulsive disorders, in addition to my antisocial personality disorder, which is technically the correct nomenclature for the sociopathy that I mentioned a moment ago. We'll get into what all of that means at later dates, as we take an in-depth look at the various mental diagnoses and disorders, episode to episode. But, for now, just know two things. One, those diagnoses, they are the things that I have been labeled with based on how certain of my symptoms and struggles have manifested for me personally, and for which I have and am still receiving treatment. And two, all of those diagnostic labels are simply terms. Terms that we use in the Western world to identify interrelated sets of symptoms in order to facilitate treatment. Since in our world of modern healthcare, if your particular set of symptoms don't coalesce into a diagnosable disorder, you don't typically get treatment, pharmacological or otherwise. So yes, I have ADHD, ICD-NOS, MDD, and OCD. But what I really have is a combination of neurotransmitter deficits, primarily norepinephrine, dopamine, and serotonin, that present with signs and symptoms that modern healthcare is compelled to distinguish with those specific diagnostic names. Clinically, this allows us to provide treatment for the variety of problematic manifestations these different diagnoses present. Though, truth be told, we should never be relying on a particular medication to treat a diagnosis, but instead always use those medications and other treatments for an individual's unique symptoms. Honestly, though, beyond some relatively small aspects of clinical care, formal diagnoses primarily serve to enable ease of billing. Because the fact is, most of what we do in healthcare, regardless of specialty area, revolves around the almighty dollar. Now, I discussed this and the issue of clinicians prescribing treatments for diagnoses rather than symptoms in a bit more detail in episode 1A, so be sure to check that out if you haven't yet. But I digress. I mentioned that my name is Rock, though my full birth name is Robert Jonathan Rock. Only telemarketers and bill collectors call me Robert, and my mother is the only person in existence to ever call me Jonathan. Most people just end up calling me by my last name, Rock. Hence use of a Rock's thoughts for the witty name of the podcast. Now I'd like to take some time running through a few things that perhaps you would like to know about me, since you are going to be listening to my thoughts after all. First, let's touch on some things I like and dislike my formal educational credentials, and my professional experience. How's that sound? I like kitty cats. That's right. I'm a cat lady. I enjoy dogs as well, but there is something about the disposition of a cat that I find incredibly appealing. Perhaps the transactional nature of our interactions or the dichotomy of one moment engaging in caressful purring and petting, and being able to then just abruptly stop that, cut it right off, and walk away, and nobody gets their feelings hurt. I'm also very fond of tabletop games, role-playing games, both as a player and a game master, all sorts of strategy board games, Euro games, 
Amerithrash games, puzzly games, dice chuckers, card games, all that good stuff. I enjoy reading and writing, particularly in speculative fiction, such as fantasy and sci-fi. I've had a few stories published, and I've had the opportunity to write for and professionally edit some nifty role-playing games as well, and I like doing that sort of thing. I am absolutely fascinated by human thought processes and behavior and neural function, especially by how very much we don't yet know, even in light of what we sort of pretend to know. Individual, internal, cognition, interaction between persons and groups, cultures, and entire societies, that sort of thing. That is my brain jam, if you will. My family is very important to me, all of them, though I especially enjoy spending time with Amber, my unparalleled wife of 18 years, and our daughter Piper. Piper has an astounding way of looking at and considering the world around her, and I adore talking with her about that, answering her questions, and learning from her. I'm also active in my church. The religious beliefs and practices that I've developed through my life experiences have allowed me to form a moral foundation that, while perhaps peculiar in its way, without which I would be a very different, far less functional human person. I realize now that I indicated there'd be some dislikes here as well, uh, but at the moment, none come to mind. I tend not to give much thought to things I don't like, at least not until they present themselves. I have no doubt that we will come across some dislikes of mine in our time together, and I am equally certain that you won't have any trouble identifying those when they do come up. But for now, nada. Now, credential and professional experience-wise, or really, what is it that makes me qualified to talk to you about mental health? In 2006, I graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Behavioral Science and Health with a minor in Psychology, as well as a Bachelor's of Science in Sociology with a minor in Anthropology, before then wrapping up my Bachelor's of Science in Nursing in 2007 with an emphasis in Psychiatric Mental Health Nursing. Amber and I had gotten married in December of 2004 when I had first started my post-secondary education, and by then she'd already graduated with her BS in Communications. She worked while I attended school, and being married to her and going to classes was pretty much all that I did. My rapid rate of collecting degrees slowed down quite a bit when I graduated nursing school, and Piper came along in 2008. My first position as a registered nurse was at the Utah State Hospital as a charge nurse on one of the forensic units. Now, in this context, forensic mental health refers to work with those who have been charged with a crime but are not yet competent to stand trial for that crime. The intent of care then being to help them reach a state where they are legally and morally competent to then stand trial. At the time, I also picked up shifts on other units of the state hospital. So I had the opportunity to provide mental health care to a variety of groups, including younger children, adolescents, and adults in acute and crisis care. And I was glad to be there. But the shifts were long and mostly nights, and there wasn't much available in the way of advancement. So after a couple of years, I moved on. And from there, I, I kind of dabbled a bit. When first starting school, you see, I had initially intended to go into primary care nursing, owning and operating my home visit primary care as an independent nurse practitioner. So I started graduate school right after becoming an RN, as I was there at the state hospital. But it turned out that chugging through another academic program, a graduate level one at that, was not nearly as easy with a newborn at home and a new full-time career and simply trying to just experience some of life 
You see, I had been fortunate enough to finally get diagnosed with and receive treatment for my disorders before beginning college for the first time, so I was functional and more than capable of handling a lot at once, because I could finally use my brain to at least partial capacity. But it turned out to my chagrin that even with the medication help, I still have limitations. So yeah, I left the state hospital, paused graduate school, and I dabbled. Over the ensuing years, I worked in hospice care, an experience I encourage every nurse to try. Working with the dying and their families through and past the death process is unlike any other experience in healthcare. I also provided mental health care to clients in their homes through home health, contracted with several facilities and teaching and training staff to work with clients with neurocognitive disorders, such as Alzheimer's dementia. I was a camp nurse at a YMCA summer camp in Vermont for a couple of summers. And I spent time as a specialist with nonverbal youth with autism spectrum disorder, focusing in on learning and adapting to their individual form of communication, their communicating of their wants and their needs, and then eventually being able to communicate everything else, despite their inability to speak. If circumstances hadn't changed, I think I would still be doing that. I loved it. Thank you, Anna. I did pick up my Master's of Science in Nursing with a focus on leadership and management of people and organizations during that time, with the intent to then earn a postmaster's certificate in family nursing practice, you know, to move on in my big plan of starting and running my independent primary care home visit practice. But right as my time working with the kids with autism spectrum disorder was ending, I finally started coming to the realization that I would never be capable of owning and operating a business. I didn't have the organizational or productivity acumen to make it happen. So then what? That was my plan. I'd been striving toward that this whole time, mostly. I'm not sure exactly why or when, but one night as we were talking, Amber suggested maybe I look into teaching nursing. I figured I didn't know what I wanted to do for sure now, so why not give it a shot? I looked around a bit and I settled on a place that I thought I'd like to give teaching a go. And that, as they say was that. Teaching is the one thing that I have done that I love every part of. It is what I want to do every day, and it is what I am supposed to be doing. And I will always be grateful that it is what I get to do. For the past five years, I've been a professor of psychiatric mental health nursing, though I've had the chance to teach a few other courses as well, to both undergraduate and graduate nursing students in clinical, laboratory, simulation, and classroom settings. And I hope to continue to teach for the rest of my days. And that, my friends, brings us to other life experience. I considered offering you here a fairly complete outline type history of my earlier years, but I'm not ready to do that. One thing I do need to clarify before going any further is that throughout everything that I'm about to share with you, I was never really on my own at least not from my perspective. I have two sisters, Kelly, who was a year older than me, and Don, who was a year younger. We raised each other, largely. I can confidently say that there's a good chance none of us would have overcome our early years without the other two being there. Someday I'm going to record or even write a thorough autobiographical retrospective detailing all of those times. But right now, I think I'm going to do something a little odd. 
I'm going to give you a list of words and short statements or broken sentences that I put together in an effort to succinctly, accurately convey what childhood was like for my sisters and me. It's a sort of loose attempt to give you context to me by sharing a bunch of things out of context. I think it'll work. Please keep in mind, while some of these things do apply directly to me, some of them also represent what my parents and sisters went through, and at times quite independent of me. Okay, this may or may not work out, but here it is. You ready? Unstable and chaotic, with ever so occasional moments of traditional Rockwellian joy. Emotional, physical, sexual violence, shaming, gaslighting, deep regret and sorrow, tears and anger, love. Caring, but incapability of sustaining genuine, lasting support. Incredibly high highs. And bottomless, hollow, deafening lows. Brief sudden wealth and the bliss that goes with it. Quickly followed by even more sudden and impactful poverty, which then would persist indefinitely. Always on the move. Three states, 12 different homes, and 11 separate schools by age 13. Infidelity and cheating. Mom and dad, both with their significant others in our home at various times while they were still married. Don and Kelly and I selling our toys at the swap meet out of the trunk of the car. On our own in the trailer park. No power or edible food. Alcoholism, prostitution, jail time, cocaine, forced abortion, fatal accidents. Drug dealing, prison sentences, mom's involuntary admission to the state hospital for her untreated mental illness and her suicidality, abandonment, dad disappearing for years, complete uncertainty, living with mom's parents, grams and pa, adjusting to the idea of supervision, pa's hatred of dad, my oppositional defiant disorder, still struggling in school, reminding pa of my dad. It wasn't a learning disability. Instead, it was an IQ of 168. Scouting, church, learning God's plan of salvation, and dinner etiquette. Pause wooden paddle with my name carved into it. Inconsistent beatings for being too much like dad. Mom is back. We're back with her. She's the same old mom. Still self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. Still trying to deal with her mental illnesses and mental injuries in the wrong way. We all work. To buy food, clothes, necessities, to pay bills. I've had a job since I was 11, and only then because I lied about being 12. Still more moves, more schools, more instability and chaos. Okay, now to get back to times that I recall a little more thoroughly, at least at this point. Eventually, as I grew and somehow got through high school, I began to recognize that I was going to have to make some decisions about who I wanted to be as a person. Up to this point, roughly age 18 or 19, I couldn't tell you why I had never gotten into drugs or smoking or alcohol. I'd never been busted for the minor crimes that I'd committed. I hadn't gotten into any serious relationships way too young. None of that. If you'd asked me now, I'd likely credit divine intervention. Or if you prefer, incredible cosmic luck. But whatever the reason... I found myself at a point where I was going to have to commit to something, some path. 
I knew from my own experiences and those of my parents especially what I did not want to be. And I could clearly see the kinds of choices and behaviors that led to the sort of life that I did not want to live. So I determined to do the opposite. My personality had been developing such that I had never really formed empathy. I never felt much of anything very strongly, emotionally, one way or the other. But I committed myself to being a good person, a, a better person, and to serving other people. I got my life in order and applied to be a full-time missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, this hadn't really been pertinent to my story up until now, but you should know that I was diagnosed with insulin-dependent type 1 diabetes when I was three years old. I'd spent a good deal of time in the hospital in those preschool years, but I'd eventually figured out how to manage it on my own, for the most part, probably around first or second grade. But it was never the kind of control that, uh, well, healthcare professionals might consider good. And this was apparently obvious on review of the health assessment portion of my missionary application, because I was initially denied for that. And it hit me pretty hard, because I had truly felt that serving a full-time mission for the next two years was what I was supposed to be doing then, and the people responsible for making those kinds of decisions for the church seemed to feel otherwise. After a couple of serious days of existential contemplation, meditation, prayer, time alone, I had something of an epiphany, or you know, perhaps not so much that, as I just came to a conclusion. I knew me, and I knew that my Heavenly Father knew me, and the church was just going to have to trust that I knew what I was doing. So I didn't really make any changes to my application. I didn't want to be dishonest, change anything. I just added a, a brief letter that basically said, hey, trust me, I got this. And I reapplied right away. And I was called to serve a mission, a full-time mission, uh, so I went and I fulfilled that calling to the best of my ability. After two years, I came home. And that's about the time that I started college and that I finally began to get treatment for my mental illnesses. And I met and I married Amber and you kind of know the gist of the rest from there. School, work, teaching, and starting this podcast. So here we are. I hope I've been able to give you a glimpse into who I am, what I'm about why some of my thoughts and the thoughts that I plan to share with you might be worth you taking the time to hear me. Before I close, please give me a moment to say that if you or anyone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm, of ending your life, please don't do it. Suicide is a consequence of hopelessness. Just because you can't see it does not mean that hope isn't there. You are having thoughts of taking your own life or of hurting yourself in any way. Please contact the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. And that's 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K. That's easy to remember. All you got to remember are the numbers 273, because you're not going to forget that it's an 800 number. And the last four letters spell the word TALK, so just remember 273 and you got the rest. I truly cannot thank you enough for joining me on our very first show together or at least part 1B of the first podcast. If you haven't yet, please don't forget that episode 1A is patiently awaiting your listening ears as well. Uh, if you've tuned in for some actual mental health talk and you somehow made it this far anyway, have a listen to episode 1A, where I get into some of the nitty-gritty of mental health versus mental illness. Besides, probably the most important thing I could ever say to any person ever about mental health and being human in general is on there. So yeah, a do not miss, if you ask me. And I will be back next Monday as well, with a brand new episode two, in which we'll consider the state of mental illness in the Western world, 
where we've come from, how we got where we are, where we're headed. Until then, my dear friends, I am Rock, and those are my thoughts.